Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. We have a stellar guest today, amazing guest. Adam Summer is here, and we're going to talk about astrology and cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all of them. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do that in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That is bluecobracbd.com. And there you will find Blue Cobra CBD oil, the highest quality CBD oil available for purchase on planet Earth. Period. End of story. Why is that? It is because the CBD that is extracted from the hemp for this oil is extracted with a proprietary method. It is called the HIT extraction method. The man who developed it is named Howard HIT. It is a HIT family product. And as a product, it's a HIT. And it contains no chemicals, no solvents. No gases, nothing unnatural was used to do that extraction. And the hemp is 100% organic, Oregon-grown hemp. In fact, the entire product is organic, small batch, locally owned. Howard Hitt is 76, his wife Judy, she's amazing. And they created this special product, and there really is nothing like it. This extraction method, that hit extraction method, retains the spirit of the plant, the healing spirits, and it seems to provide maximum healing benefit. And there are three types, King Cobra, maximum strength, little King Cobra, regular strength, and wild thing, CBD for pets. Because pets can have this medicine. There's no THC in it. It can provide healing for them as well. And we have a discount code. It is big H, B-I-G and the letter H. And that gets you free shipping on any order in the continental 48 United States. And there's a money back guarantee. If you do not like the product for some reason, And I always say this, no one has ever taken advantage of this guarantee. But if for some reason you don't like it, you get to keep the product, you get your money back. And if you had to pay shipping, you get that money back as well. It's literally a win-win situation. You have nothing to lose to try this product. Perhaps you've tried CBD products in the past and you felt like it didn't help you at all. That's because it was probably commercially produced chemically extracted CBD and the hemp flower was from God knows where, probably not somewhere good in order to mass produce it in that way. So go check out Howard Hitt's website, AKA big H and he's available. You can contact him, email him. It's all on the website. Just go there, check it out, do the research 
It is Blue Cobra CBD.com. That is Blue Cobra CBD.com. And when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow us there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcast, click that button that connects us so you know exactly what's going on in real time. You get that notification to your device and tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts that would love to hear about astrology and Bitcoin. You know that person. They're your friends. You know them well. Bring them here. Midnightonearth.com. Okay, so we're going to talk to Adam, but first, you have to read his bio. Adam Summer is an astrologer, writer, podcaster, and cryptocurrency expert. He combines both his astrological understandings and his knowledge of cryptocurrencies to create a unique perspective on the cryptocurrency phenomena. His astrological certification is from Maurice Fernandez, who is co-founder of OPA, which is the Organization of Professional Astrologers, and he started his first podcast in 2009, talk about being ahead of the curve, called Exploring Astrology. He says his intention is, quote, to be of the most assistance I can be to you and the rest of the astrological mythical world by animating these stories, these skies, and these ways of understanding in a way that gets you more excited each time you read or listen to my work. I also pray that through my work, you find a couple of holes to travel down and that you find some heaven by doing so. Oh, that's so cool. We're so glad he's here. Hello, Adam. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for the introduction, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, our frequencies matched and here we are. I love Bitcoin. I love astrology. And I was just recently turned on to your work and I think it's amazing. And I, and as soon as I started, you find it, it was my guest co-host who comes on the show occasionally, occasionally we do lecture episodes and occasionally we do okay. news episodes. She brought it to the table. Her name is Bryn Anderson and she brought okay. it to the table. She said, you have to interview this guy. He's amazing. Wow. I was like, Really? What what's going on? Astrology and Bitcoin. I was like sold. Like <laughs> before I even knew. And then your writing, of course, is incredible. Yeah. So let's talk about this. I want to talk about this. And for a lot of people, believe it or not, in 2022, cryptocurrency is still a mystery. Like they still don't know what it is. They have no clue what it is. It's some abstract thing. So from your perspective, and I'm sure you can summarize this because you've probably said this so many times what is cryptocurrency and what is the blockchain mm. i think the first thing we must do is delineate a difference between bitcoin and the rest okay and understand that the first and, and the first mover of this entire movement just to simplify terms is bitcoin 
like in Halloween, it was Halloween night, 2008, when Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous founder, creator of Bitcoin, releases this white paper and people on the email thread that he was a part of get to read it. But it's also, I think it was on GitHub or something like this. And so the whole world had access to Bitcoin, this peer-to-peer digital cash that he was talking about. And then by January 3rd of 09, so just a couple months later, the first block was mined. And so without getting into the technicalities of like, like how Bitcoin, what Bitcoin, you know, when we're talking about proof of work and mining and hashing and all this type of stuff, the overall idea that I think people really understand about what it is and what all these other blockchain projects have taken and ran with as well is that it's essentially a ledger. You can think of it as like a third tier ledger technology where like the first is an IOU, right? You lend me five bucks, I tell you, I'll pay you back, but there's nothing written down and there's no way of leveraging that between or guaranteeing it between each other, right? Just our word. The second would be, of course, bringing in the receipts and having ways of keeping the books. And it's kind of where we're at at the moment. And the third is what blockchain is. And so it's this immutable ledger that is secured through proof of work and nodes on the network in this decentralized way to where only honest actors that are participating with the network, when that means is they're downloading the entire history of, of the Bitcoin ledger affirming that everything is correct and then moving it onwards. And like after every block is mined every 10 minutes, which again has everything that has ever happened in the history of, of, of the Bitcoin ledger on it. Once everything is, you know, gone through and this happens very quickly, of course, we're talking about computers doing the work, then the block is added to the chain and then TikTok next block. And so it's a way of keeping information, but the most important thing is keeping it secure. And so understanding that the Bitcoin blockchain is the most secure computer protocol the world has ever seen. It's never been hacked. It's been around for almost 14 years. And I'm sure everyone has tried to hack it. I know that the NSA has attempted it. There's bounties all over the world trying to you know, hack Bitcoin. And many other blockchains have indeed been hacked and they've experienced a lot of downtime, like <clears throat> Solana, for instance. Like it happens, it happens, but not with Bitcoin. It's this really remarkable, I think of it as a discovery, Jake, more than an invention, because you know there were so many minds like within the cyberpunk movement over the last few decades that had to come together for this miraculous occurrence to happen through Satoshi. And I think as well, just to kind of open it up for more questions here, but him staying pseudonymous and never revealing or she, their identity is one of the best parts about the story. I mean, there's lots of elements to the Bitcoin story and just the advent of blockchain. That's really fascinating. But the fact that we don't have a face or a name or an entity to target, to blame, 
the trust <laughs> is, is huge. And that's the thing about Bitcoin is it's verified. Don't trust. So it takes trust out of the system. It takes intermediaries out of the system. Like it's, it's this way of, again, like keeping honest actors honest. And so it's, it's beautiful. And the fact that it's quote unquote money at this point, I mean, it, like a peer to peer cash, like some people use Bitcoin like that, but at this point it's basically become digital gold. It's a way of storing value over right. time. And it doesn't have to just be money, but it is money at this point. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's a way again of securing information. And so like on other chains, like Ethereum, the number two, like that's, you know, it, it, it's it's now not a proof of work blockchain, but a proof of stake. We can get into that a little bit if you want. And there's all of these decentralized applications that can be built on top of it, like a decentralized world supercomputer. So you think about apps on your computer. Well, the apps can be built on the Ethereum blockchain as well. And um, DeFi, which is also another really important use case. And um, uh, what was I going to say? That proof of stake, but... Um, I'll pause. That's okay. I want to back you up. I don't want to confuse anybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's very dense. It gets very confusing. It's very dense information for the layman. I will tell you that. But for people that don't know, Bitcoin, the first cryptocurrency was released anonymously. They say to the internet and it was a man named Satoshi Nakamoto or a woman. Like you said, we don't know who they are. But do you no. really believe it was a person or was it like Shakespeare or something where it was like actually a group of people or was it <laughs> truly our government or a coalition mm. of governments coming together to create like a, a one world currency? Yeah, I love that conspiracy because <laughs> if it were to be a government, I mean, I don't know why they would unleash sound money and such a revolution onto the people. Like, I don't, I, I don't see our governments as such altruistic actors in the world drama of things, like, because Bitcoin can't be controlled. Like, it, like if they did unleash it, like it's already too late. Like there's no one that has 51% of the hash rate that can attempt to hack or shut the network down. Right. And so what Bitcoin becomes from this point forward is kind of in the hands of all of us. And so it's the people's money. It's the people's network. It's a really profound thing. And, you know, a lot of like my philosophical ideas and the potential for our, like a brighter future because of Bitcoin, we can get into, but like, oh, it doesn't will. really matter if, if like, I've heard some crazy ones, like Jeffrey Epstein created Bitcoin. Oh, God. And da, 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 da. No, no. And That's ridiculous. the government or it's China and it's a way of controlling. It's like, well, like it's censorship resistant. Like you can't control, like if like if you have control of your keys, it's your Bitcoin and you can do whatever you want with it. And just because it's censorship resistant doesn't mean that it's hidden. And that's another thing people like get wrong. They're like, oh, well, it's for dodgy characters that, you know, use it for sex trafficking and things like the Silk Road. It's like, well, sure actual money is used for that as well. Right. All currencies in the world are used for this as well. And it's also an idiotic idea to use Bitcoin or really any blockchain for those types of transactions. Because again, that word I used immutable, everything that has ever happened on the Bitcoin blockchain is there. Right. So it is traceable. It is traceable. People say it's It's not trackable, but hugely 
Hugely. Like if they want to find you with the blockchain, I mean, there's all these great stories. Like Wired Magazine had a wonderful read uh, this summer about how they use Bitcoin to basically take down a multinational uh, sex trafficking ring. Wow. And it was all being done on Bitcoin and Tether. So they were using Tether probably on the Ethereum network or maybe on various networks to try to like scramble the trail and then Bitcoin. And they, yeah, they use the blockchain to be able to do it. And actually I have a student who works for the forensics team for Kraken, which is one of the biggest exchanges. And she's at work doing a lot of this stuff as well. So I get to kind of get inside information on how this stuff works. So because if you have someone's wallet address and you know it's theirs, all of the movement, the coin movement, at least on the Bitcoin blockchain we're talking about specifically, all of that coin movement, if you know the wallet address, you know what's coming and going from that wallet. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even deeper ways of playing around with it as well. I mean, I'd say most hackers or bad actors are using VPN, so it's tough to track it with an IP, but they have their ways. Okay. And I don't ask me how, but like a lot of this money has to go through exchanges, for example. And so I would also hope to imagine that these bad actors are smart enough to not have KYC accounts on these exchanges where their identity is linked to I'm them. Say but even probably if 80% do, and you know, like yeah, that's yeah. where they're at. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, you messed up. You remember that four years ago where you took that picture with your driver's license and got that Binance account? Yeah, you may have forgotten that your identity is out there. And so I don't know, they have their ways, but like it's a, it's another moot argument. And there's a lot of funny ones like that with both astrology and Bitcoin, where it's it just simply comes down to a lack of education and where people are getting information. Like with Bitcoin, we can get into this one as well, like around energy. I mean, the energy FUD campaign around Bitcoin is powerful. And I would say it's powerful to the point that it made Ethereum just transition from proof of work to proof of stake. I don't know if that transition would have happened without the fear, uncertainty, and doubt around what proof of work mining is. Yes. In the cryptocurrency world, people, I want to back you up a little bit. In the cryptocurrency world, there is some slang, believe it or not. And one of those things is what he just said, FUD, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt causes people yeah. to sell their coins far too early. And of course, the other big one <laughs> is uh, is HODL, which is H-O-D-L, yeah, yeah. which means hold your damn coins, which is what you should do anyway. But it was started yeah. by a typo. Hold on for dear life, actually. <laughs> well, I thought it started as a typo. <laughs> Who knows how it started? No, but... <laughs> that story is false. Okay. I thought it was too. So it's, it's hold, hold on, on for, for dear, dear life. life. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. So look, okay. When did you become interested in crypto? Like what was your first experience? exposure to cryptocurrency where it, like the light went off and and you were hooked well the light came okay i'll, I'll tell you my <laughs> first exposure and then when the light came off so first okay. exposure was back in 2012 and i had a client in germany that wanted to wanted me to look at the chart for bitcoin and so from the genesis block on january 3rd of 09 uh, you can cast an astrology chart for that moment. It's timestamped better than most people's birth info, actually, because it's, you know, it's there. It's timestamped to the block, the Genesis block. Like to the exact second. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there's this chart that we can look at and he had sent it to me and he wanted 
basically a recording of all of my ideas about what I felt about this chart and then pretty much like a projection out for the next 10 years or so. And I remember very clearly like where I was, I was living in Austin at the time. And I remember Googling Bitcoin and trying to figure out what the hell it was. I had never heard of it until this inquiry came to me. And I was like, okay, there's really not much going on out there. And then he offered to pay me in Bitcoin. And at the time I really needed cash, not Bitcoin. And so I asked if you could just pay in cash and that's how it went down. But it was like, we had talked about this recently as well. I was like, how much did you offer me back then? And it was close to one Bitcoin. So it had been, you know, in today's value, a $20,000 astrology reading, but a year ago, it would have been a $68,000 astrology reading. (laughs) That's okay. Money's infinite. Everything's infinite. Money's infinite. You can attract more in your life. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I did it. And I remember a few things about what I had said as well. I usually do in every reading I give, like there's like one idea or image that sticks with me. And the one that I remember from the 2012 glance at the chart was that, you know, whatever happens between now and 2020, it's in 2020 slash 2021, where it'll be very clear whether this lives or dies. Oh, wow. And at the time it was like eight years away. And so, you know, it was a we shall see type scenario, but jump ahead to 2020, 21, like in my mind, and we can talk about this as well. That's when Bitcoin in a way crossed the chasm. Yes. Like there's no more doubt in my mind or anyone else's mind who, who truly understands Bitcoin. And this isn't the case for all crypto, for Bitcoin, that it's not only too big to fail, it's that it's mycelium has run too far and too deep across the globe and convinced too many people of its story especially in the face of what we're experiencing on a macro scale, economically speaking, that like it literally couldn't have shown up at a better time. And the astrology of it tells that story. It's freaking amazing. And so at this point, I have zero doubt that Bitcoin is here to stay. And now it's just, okay, like we've won a bunch of the battles, but like, has the war really begun? Like, is the Bitcoin standard going to be something that a lot of people in the world denominate in, you know, like you see adoption happening on the sovereign level. It's like El Salvador was the first country, but there's many, 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 many that are in the process of it. And, you know, it's not to completely take over, say the dollar, but like, it'll be a decade, two decades, three decades long process where there's going to be a lot of really interesting things that happen as far as, you know, sovereign nations holding like a lot in their treasuries in Bitcoin, using Bitcoin to leverage out loans or creating bonds with it. You know, especially when you get into the energy sector, what Bitcoin can do to stabilize the grid and, and, and encourage the growth of renewable energy as well is one of the more profound and surprising effects of what's happening, I think, with Bitcoin right now. So... What about the other cryptocurrencies, though? I mean, obviously, Bitcoin's the yeah. king, and we can talk about the forks a little bit later. We'll get to that Bitcoin Cash and BSV, okay. but yep. there's like 
3,000 other coins now. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. the exact number, but it's probably close to that. They all have some value, even if it's a fraction of a penny. Are, is mm. it just kind of a sink or swim scenario? Which ones will be adopted? Which ones won't? Will oh, other yeah. coins become a store of value as well? Like, what is the scene with all these Bitcoins and another slang yeah. word, shit coins? <laughs> And I think that's a viable term, actually. It's what the Bitcoin <laughs> maximalists use for altcoins, another way of talking about them. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll weave this answer into my epiphany moment, because when I, in, when I honestly got involved with, with crypto was in 2017. It was like in early 2017. And it was only because I felt like I was making, I guess, more money than I was used to making at that point. I was, I created all these like programs and I had a bunch of students. I'm like, oh, wow, like I have this cash, but like, I'm not going to buy a house right now. What am I going to do with it? And then I had a friend who was getting really into crypto and he's like, dude, just put it into Bitcoin. And I'm like, all right, actually, that's a pretty good idea. And so I, you know, took, a few thousand bucks and bought some Bitcoin, some Ethereum. And, and then it went parabolic within like four months. Like my initial investment, like quadrupled or more like nice. very quickly. And I, and I had never really been into finance or investing. And so it was kind of like a remarkable thing to witness. I was like, wow, like that was crazy. And I was also smart enough to sell the top. Because when it happened, I was like, I, I, I definitely want to secure this somehow. So I just sold it into dollars and then lived on it for a while. But because of that experience in early 2018, I became interested. I was like, what is this? Like, really, what is Bitcoin and everything else that's happening? And so that was kind of the, like the, immediately after the top of the previous bull market. And so there was this crazy craze that happened in December or really leading up throughout the fall into December of 2017. And it was fueled by the ICO boom. So it was basically all of these altcoin companies raising a ton of capital, mostly illegally in my eyes. Like I really do think a lot of them are unregistered securities and getting away with it. And so like a lot of these coins, I mean, like, my God, like Ethereum being one of them, but like, there was a lot of like the smaller cap altcoins that went like 50X, 100X in price in a very short amount of time. And then the entire move was almost retraced within 12 months afterwards. And so basically in that bear market, I was witness to a couple of things. Like one, my education, like what is Bitcoin? And then what is the rest of it? And then also just kind of like what this, well, yeah, like, like what this space is really all about. And so like I was doing in the beginning, there is a difference between Bitcoin and the rest of the space. Bitcoin is sound money. Bitcoin is again, the most secure computer network that's ever been in existence. And so when it comes to storing value and watching it appreciate over time, I mean, the return of investment as far as value is concerned on average is 150% per year on Bitcoin, which is crazy. And it won't continue like that because of the way it's created. Another genius element of it, there's only 21 million coins and the issuance gets halved every four years. And so 
I don't again want to confuse folks listening, but like <laughs> it's a genius way that Satoshi created how Bitcoin is created and how there's a certain cap. You know, I think it's 2140 where the last Bitcoin will ever be mined. But really, we're already close to that. Like there's already 19 million out of the 21 that have already been mined. And so we're already kind of there. And then it just slows down over time. So every four years, like that block reward is halved. So Bitcoin, its main market share is gold, but it's also a lot of other currencies. Like people, you know, I'm in the UK at the moment. And I think a lot of people here in the UK felt that their money was safe in the pound or in gilt, the treasuries here, right? And I think a lot of people are doubting that at the moment. They're, they're kind of freaking out, being like, uh-oh, like the pound is like worth half of what it was two years ago against the dollar. And then the pension market and the, you know what's happening with, with the gilts here in the UK, I mean, it, it looks like a shit coin. Like everything that's happening is kind of a repeat of what occurred back in 2008 with the great financial crisis. So that's what Bitcoin is. The rest of it, and this is really important for people to understand, the rest of it to me is high risk venture bets. I'm not a maximalist. Like I don't think Ethereum is a shit coin. I don't think Cardano is a piece of crap. Like I think that there's use cases absolutely for NFTs and DeFi and creative ways of getting yield with like creating liquidity and these swap platforms like Uniswap and stuff like this. But like the, the risk factor, the risk to reward is insane. Like, yeah, you can 50 X your money. If you buy one of these shit coins, especially the small cap ones at the bottom of the bear market, but you can also lose everything. Yeah, <laughs> And we've, we've seen that this year a lot, you know, like yeah. Terra Luna, which was like at one moment, a top 10 crypto. <sighs> Went to zero in 48 hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know anybody that wasn't affected by it. Even myself. I was affected by it because I had some UST, which was a stable coin that crashed their entire system. Like I had some of that stable coin and lost it. Just boom, gone. And so, you, you know, they, people often say like, you know, like only invest what you can lose. In crypto, and I say slightly different, like only put into Bitcoin what you don't want to lose. Ah, like that's my feeling about Bitcoin. Like that's how much I trust the protocol. The money I have in the bank, the money I have in places like PayPal, like it's very minimal. Like the majority of my wealth is tied up in Bitcoin because I can see five, 10, 20 years down the road. Like I see where this story is going. I have the astrology to back it up as well. And if it doesn't, like if Bitcoin doesn't play out the story, like I think it is, like we're going to live in a pretty dystopian world. I think. <laughs> well, we're not going like, to the dystopian I, I, world. I guarantee it. I hope not. I hope not. Because yeah, the way, the way this is at the moment, I mean, like 2008 is in the process of repeating at the moment. Right. It's a little, it's a little bit of a different story. But, you know, like in the first block, as an example to this, um, Satoshi embedded this clipping from the newspaper that day in, in, in January of 2009. And it said, Chancellor to bail out banks for the second time. So you remember that, right? I do, like, yes. Like when everything started collapsing, like 
there was a lot of bailouts that were happening and QE started in earnest and hasn't really ever stopped. And like, that's the main issue is, I mean, really you can whittle it all down to just basic supply and demand. Can't you Jake? Yes. Like like there's only 21 million Bitcoin and and there's um, how many people on the planet right now? Almost 7 billion. So there's not enough Bitcoin to go around, but when it comes to dollars, we'll just keep it simple. How many dollars are in circulation? How many dollars are created every year? Michael Saylor says it's roughly 7% increase to the monetary supply every year. I don't know how true that number is, but like during COVID, it was exponentially more than that, I bet. But I know that like uh, 70% of all U.S. dollars were printed this year or within the last three years. Since the pandemic, yeah. Since the pandemic. I want to back you up a little bit because... Like I said, your information is so valuable, but it's so dense. There's so much going on. I just want to ask you a few things. So, okay, 2140, you're saying that it's going to tank until 2140 to mine the last Bitcoin. But what if there's some like crazy quantum leap in computer technology? And then all of a sudden- Yeah, quantum computing. Yes, let's talk about that. There, I mean, there's. I really want to get to the astrology aspect, but yes, quantum computing, which is coming, we've seen the development. We've actually yeah. covered the developments of quantum computing on this podcast, and it's mind-blowing when you really wrap your head around what a quantum computer is, and that's going to eventually be the norm, and that level of computing could shift the hashing to a faster place to where it isn't going to be 2040, where it, it could be 2040. Oh, no, no, no. It still it still will it still will be that long and here's why so like this like I am not a computer programmer I do not mind Bitcoin okay. but I have for the past five to six years done my best and it's not been easy Jake to understand it okay like like and and there's all of these elements to how it works that are just so mind-boggling so one of them is what's called the difficulty adjustment. So every two weeks, automatically, the protocol will adjust the difficulty of, of, of basically guessing the next nonce in the header of the block. So just imagine like this, like Bitcoin mining, is it's, it's no one digging in the earth. It's nothing like that at all. It's basically just these ASICs machines, application-specific chips, these machines running in warehouses guessing trillions per times per second what the next nonce is in the header of the next block and then if they guess what the block is they get the chance to mine that block and then validate transactions on it and so what they get is the block reward which i think at the moment is like 6.25 bitcoin and then all of the transaction fees within that block there's a new block every 10 minutes. And so if the way I understand the quantum computing thing <clears throat> is that if quantum computing, and likely it will come onto the scene, right, in the lifetime of, 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 of Bitcoin, then you still need 51% of the network to create an attack on the network and basically destroy the ledger, just to speak about it clear, like in a simple uh, way. But if these machines are available on the market and say you have uh, Bitcoin mining companies creating 
or you know mining with them i guess that's the point they're mining with quantum computers so you have quantum computers not guessing trillions of times per second it would be exceptionally high yeah yeah it would i mean that's it might be false what i'm saying but it's something like that and so like if there was just one quantum computer versus like all of the hash power in the world it may get every block right like it's possible like i don't know if that's true or not i have to talk to one of the experts about this one um but at the same time there's this whole 51 percent of the network thing and so like i don't know how that would weigh into it and then also if there's one quantum computer like i imagine there's going to be two or more (laughs) right and then so you have others competing and that's really what the Bitcoin uh, mining is all about. It's competition for guessing the next block. So mind-blowing. It's really mind-blowing. Yeah. So it's raw power, raw electricity. And that's why it's so important to you know for securing the network. Because like the amount of money and just raw energy it would take to attempt to overthrow the network, like it's just kind of inconceivable but even if that were to happen like 51 percent of the network was organized enough say through the u.s government to try that attack it would also ultimately be useless because the chain would this gets where it's confusing but i think it naturally forks itself but then all of the bitcoin in the world is now worth nothing right because it's all and so it would have to be for the sole purpose of destroying bitcoin Exactly. But it's not even possible <laughs> as far as I understand it. So when you do crypto trading now, do you cast a chart? Do you do an astrological chart before you make your choices when you do like daily or weekly trading? That's a good question. Um, as, far how, as far as how I use astrology and understanding Bitcoin is I I kind of have the macro view of it. Um, Like one of the strongest indicators for me around understanding just like where Bitcoin is in its phase of life is through the eyes of Pluto. Um, And I'll describe that in a bit. And so like Pluto's time in Capricorn, which is where it's been since 2008, funny enough, is like the first solid chapter of of bitcoin but then there's a smaller cycle and a very interesting one that links to traditional markets as well which relates to the planet saturn and uranus and so when they have basically these alignments like we just went through like there was a saturn uranus square for example throughout 2021 and it's still actually quite close every time saturn and uranus make a hard aspect like a square or a conjunction or an opposition there's these very pivotal moments that happen in the traditional markets. And so, for example, they were conjunct in the late 80s and there was a big crash then. They were square to one another in the Y2K, like dot-com bubble. They were opposed to one another during the 07, 08 uh, great financial crisis. And then now we're square again. And so you have all of these interesting market crashes that, of course, are tied to something much deeper. And my thesis is wrapped around monetary policy. Like the Keynesian approach, approach 
to the economy and just printing money and spending, spending, spending fiscal stimulus, kind of an idea of how to, you know, to keep this whole machine going clearly doesn't work because it goes in these cycles of inflation and boom and bust. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very complicated, very psychological game. And it's probably why I was never interested in money, Jake, like this, <laughs> like checking econ one-on-one. I was like, this is a bunch of bullshit. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't care. Like it's all boring to me. And then I remember there was a little moment when I was in my twenties where I got interested in gold. And then I come to find out that like gold bugs and Bitcoiners pretty much view macro in the same way but they don't really get along that well. Like there's not many gold bugs that are Bitcoiners and vice versa. That's kind of one or the other, but they both kind of see themselves as the store of value. Yeah. And they also understand the fed and Keynesian economics and stuff in a very similar way. I'd I'd think that most gold bugs are of the Austrian school, just like Bitcoiners are. So, astrologically, do you feel like cryptocurrency is still in its infancy? Like, are we still at the beginning stages? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can look at it like this. Bitcoin is what, 13, 14 years of age? Yes. So it's a, it's a teenager. Uh, Ethereum came on the scene in 2015. So it's seven, almost eight years old. Uh, XRP, I think as well. And then most of these other projects, the majority of the altcoins came about in the IC, the ones that matter during the ICO boom in 2017. So like Cardano and Matic and Tezos and Link and these projects that like have a legitimate future in my opinion, but it's not the same thing. It solves a different problem than right. Bitcoin does. Right. They all have some sort of function which creates the value for the coin, but they all trade in some way, like on markets or at marketplaces. It's very strange. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of the ones I just mentioned are multi-billion dollar decentralized companies. You know, like, uh, I don't exactly know it off the top of my head, but like (laughs) Ethereum is half of Bitcoin usually as far as like the last few years, as far as its market cap, which is we'll just say a hundred billion dollars as we're recording. Uh, Cardano is probably like $50 billion, something like this. Like Terra Luna before it collapsed was over 50 billion. Like that's a pretty huge valuation for something that doesn't really have a huge use case yet. Yeah. I mean, really like on Ethereum, for example, like the main use case that it's found itself for so far is NFTs. I mean, sure, DeFi and like there's other smart contract use cases, but like Ethereum, when the when the network is congested and there's a lot of people like during the bull market using it, it's not usable because it's so damn expensive to transact on the Ethereum network. Like $100 per transaction type fees. And like even, that's even if like, oh, I, I want to send you 10 bucks, Jake. It's like, okay, that'll be $100 on the <laughs> Ethereum network. Yeah. So like, there's a lot, a lot of work to be done. And like with Ethereum, there's what are called layer twos and scaling and they're just solving completely different problems. You know, like the Ethereum blockchain wars, we'll just say like are between all layer ones, like, and they're trying to be supercomputers. So like that, that are decentralized around the world and they're all proof of stake for the most part. Cardano, 
Avalanche, Solana, like all of these layer ones are competing for the same market share. Bitcoin's not competing with anybody. Gold, USD, maybe, but like it's not competing with Ethereum. So, okay. So what about the forks of Bitcoin? So there's Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Mm -hmm. Satoshi's Vision, which are Mm -hmm. somehow attached to the original coin, but yet they're they're independent coins themselves. How does that work? Yeah. So there was what was called the block size wars back in the day. I think it was really heating up back in 2015 or so. So it was kind of before my time when I was paying attention to all this closely. But I do remember in 2017 when I had bought my first Bitcoin and Anyone who had Bitcoin all of a sudden got airdropped a bunch of Bitcoin cash. Right. And that actually just happened with Ethereum. So when Ethereum just transitioned from proof of stake, or sorry, from proof of work to proof of stake, um, there was a bunch of Ethereum miners that weren't on board with the transition. Like they wanted to keep mining. And like for good reason, like I'm on board with the proof of work. Like I think it's a better consensus mechanism. And so there was, there is uh, a group that basically kept the old chain and just called it Ethereum proof of work. And then everyone, like whatever your Ethereum balance was in your wallet or on an exchange at the moment of the transition, you just were airdropped the same amount of Ethereum proof of work as you have Ethereum. And so with Bitcoin Cash, it was this idea of, you know, having uh, bigger blocks so more transactions can fit in there because what's his name? The guy that had that, that Richard. Are you talking about Craig Ryan? Yeah, I get no, that's Satoshi's vision. I'll get okay. to him. <laughs> no, this is this is the character behind Bitcoin Cash. And so his whole thing, I actually both remember. of them, both Craig, both Craig and the other character behind Bitcoin Cash felt that you know the network needed to be cheaper, it needed to be faster, it needed to be this peer-to-peer digital cash, which was Satoshi's original vision. And a lot of the you know the core development team of bitcoin and just like old school bitcoiners and stuff just didn't want to change anything i mean that's what's really interesting about bitcoin is like there's very little changes that ever happened to the protocol there's a lot of proposals they're called bips but rarely is there consensus on changing anything to bitcoin and so you can fork any of these change, which is kind of because it's open source code. And so there's a lot of Bitcoin replicas, but what they don't have is a network effect. And it kind of gets to the source of like, well, what is money? Like money is only what we agree has value ultimately, right? And so when it comes to fiat or the dollars that we exchange, I assume you're in the US. Yes. I mean, like, like that's by decree. And so like we have to use, most of the world has to use US dollars. And we agree that it has value. And so we exchange with it. When it comes to Bitcoin, people agree 
that like yes this is this is the chain that we are using and so when it comes then to bitcoin cash or bitcoin diamond or bitcoin satoshi's vision they have some traction actually an old friend of mine just reached out like a month ago and was telling me that his only bag that he holds is bitcoin satoshi's vision I was like, wow, like what you are the first, I told him. I was like, you're the first person I've ever met that has any exposure to that coin. I actually know somebody else in the same situation, but go ahead. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was just like, (laughs) and I respect this guy too. I'm like, so wait, like you think Craig Wright is Satoshi then. So there's this nut job in Australia. I know. Who's been taking all these people to court about him being Satoshi and it's embarrassing. Like I, there was a recent one and I, with Hoddle not, and I listened to some of the court proceedings and it was just, Oh, so painful to listen to. And so this guy thinks he's Satoshi and he was a part of it. That's the thing. It was like a network of cyber cyberpunks that were all working on these different issues around it, and they all contributed different parts to what ended up being the Bitcoin protocol in the end. And Craig, he claims to be Satoshi. And I swear to God, if he is Satoshi, I will, <laughs> I will, I will, I will doubt my discernment and my judge of not just character, but information for the rest of my life. You know, I feel the same way. I've been exposed to Craig Wright and his story from the person that turned me on to uh, Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, which I will say your, yep. your friend, you're deeply respect. In my case, he's a, paranoid schizophrenic friend of mine okay <laughs> but he has all he his, sounds like craig wright <laughs> exactly he loves craig wright coincidentally worships craig wright thinks everything he says is golden and essentially i've watched the videos just to kind of like okay what does this guy have to say and it's and it's ridiculous but what you are saying though is that he did contribute to the original yeah. code, source code of Bitcoin. So in well, a- maybe not the source code, no, no. But like a lot of the ideas, like uh, the SHA-256 algorithm, like the hashing function was contributed by um, this guy, Adam Back. And then this guy, Hal Finney, who's no longer with us, like he had a different contribution. But Satoshi himself had a lot of unique contributions to it, which I think like he chose the 21 million number and the divisibility of one Bitcoin into the amount of Satoshis, like a hundred million. He is well, like the proof of work thing is also from somewhere else. Like it's just, it's a compilation of like, really it's like, I think there's a book. I'm not, I, I can't think of the title at the moment that tells the whole story that leads up to the moment of Bitcoin's immaculate conception, if you will. But like, there was a lot going on. I mean, like there was, you know, different attempts as well. Like I think how Finney was one of, one of them, Adam as well, but they created different versions of digital cash over the, you know, the last few decades, but you know, failed and for different reasons. And so like what Bitcoin is, is the amalgamation of all the greatest ideas around what, a sound digital money would look like. And so far it's perfected it. It's so, but hacked. Craig did get a hold somehow of Bitcoin Satoshi's vision. He controls that. I mean, it's a bit, it has a market cap. I mean, there's yep. hundreds of millions of dollars trading around it. It got up to yep. close to $500 at its peak. Like what? what is yep. the deal? And somehow it's connected to Bitcoin. So like, what is the deal? 
Well, it's connected to Bitcoin in the sense that, I mean, I, again, I'm not a computer programmer, but I think it's, you know, it's the same code fundamentally, but the block size is probably different. And the and I think it's proof of work. I'm pretty sure it's proof. It's of exactly work. like Bitcoin with a larger yeah. uh, block size. I think it's like like yeah. hundreds of megs more versus I, I can't remember Bitcoin's original block size. Yeah, it's very small. Like when you think about it, it's something like five megabytes. It's right. absurd. And um, so anyhow, like. And when my friend was telling me this the other day, like I, I went on the website and his reasoning was not necessarily that he feels Craig is Satoshi, but more from the, like he's an artist. And so like there's NFTs being built out on the network and there's like a network effect, I guess, with artists that he's plugging into. And there's a, like a metaverse component that's being built on that chain. And there was like a lot of what I guess you would be seeing on all these other layer ones, like Ethereum and Cardano and stuff like that happening there. Ooh, and it's cheap interesting. And it's fast. It is, you know, like that's, I mean, that's true. And the reason why there's no metaverse being built on Bitcoin, there's no NFTs on layer one Bitcoin is because all of that activity on chain slows down the chain. Yes. And also, you know, like there's a simplicity in a, a like there's something exquisite around like having a sole use case for what Bitcoin is doing. Like it's just securing value over time and space. It's powerful. It's a powerful idea. And like, so there are layer twos like um, Lightning Network and whatnot that are being built out that will be used for the peer to peer way. Like, I use Strike, for example, to send dollars on the back of the Bitcoin network on Lightning all the time. Like, that's how I send a lot of my friends' uh, money. So, you know, there's everything in a way, the way I, I see the future is going to be built on Bitcoin and layer two, probably lightning or something similar. Well, won't we and, need though, won't we need Adam just to stop you there? Won't we need worldwide internet and then the transactions to happen almost instantly or at least a few yeah. seconds for it to be adopted worldwide? And that's lightning. I mean, lightning is instant and it's pretty much free. I mean, like it's micro payment transaction type level. Like it's, and, and it doesn't have to just be Bitcoin. Like a lot of people misunderstand this because they're like, I don't want to use my Bitcoin to transact. Like there's a lot of like people that just, they never want to sell or use their Bitcoin ever. And the way the tax laws are written at the moment too, it's like anytime you sell your Bitcoin, it's a capital gains tax. So <laughs> there's a lot of incentive not to sell. And but on lightning and like you can like the way strike works is you can send any currency in the world on the back of lightning network anywhere for pretty much free like it's wild jack maulers is the ceo of the company if you listen to some of his talks he's kind of a fun person to watch a lecture at like the bitcoin conferences and stuff like that and he had a huge part to play as well in the adoption of bitcoin in el salvador Interesting. So that, that uh, um, instant transaction is pretty much there, but we do still need that yeah. worldwide internet. You need the worldwide internet and there's, there, I mean, there's just so much education. I think that's the big roadblock at the moment. Like the amount of misinformation and disinformation that exists 
around Bitcoin is immense. And oh, yeah. the and the propaganda is only going to intensify because of ESG and how you have now Ethereum proof of stake and a lot of these other cryptos proof of stake. Like they use, it's true, way less energy because they're not mining anymore. But the whole consensus mechanism is now it's not as much as a security issue as it is kind of just the old model on chain like it's not as decentralized as you would want it to be and there are you know a lot of critiques that i entertain around proof of stake and it completely changed my relationship forever to ethereum when the transition happened you know listening to both sides of the argument i'm like i don't know You know, like I've always been somewhat exposed to Ethereum. Like I think it's definitely an interesting future as well that is going to be built out on ETH, Cardano as well. But like over the last year, I've pretty much become a Bitcoiner. Okay. Like 90% of my brain space when I think about crypto is basically through Bitcoin. Oh, well, because it is that gold standard. It is that original coin. But what about these countries including America, I might add, that are creating their own cryptocurrency. The American crypto, it's terrifying. The American cryptocurrency was in the farm bill that happened years ago. They were talking about it and it's happening. There's development happening. So what do you think about this American cryptocurrency and then other countries as well, creating their own cryptocurrency? Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, it's the ultimate surveillance tool. And CBDCs are not a future that I want to be living in. And, you know, one of the, like, just to throw it in there, but like right after Ethereum transitioned to proof of stake, there was all these interesting headlines that started coming out, like Norway to build their CBDC on Ethereum and all these different countries that are like now comfortable, like saying like, oh yeah, like we have an Ethereum address, like it's Budweiser.eth. And like all these companies are out behind it because it's ESG uh, compliant, right? It's like 99.9% less energy use. And, you know, there's just all this around it. And it's like, oh my God, like Ethereum just fell into the entire narrative that is destroying the world. Like that's kind of the feeling that I have in my gut around it. And... Again, it's a decentralized computer, so like there's so much that still can be done on it. But like, there's a lot of really solid arguments and critiques against it that come from, of course, the Bitcoin camp. I don't really fully take sides with any of it. I take in the information and sit with it and deal with it in my own head. <laughs> but like, it has made me more confident in allocating more of my wealth into Bitcoin and outside of Ethereum. I'm like, I don't know anymore. Like, I don't trust it in the same way. It, so CBDCs, or, uh, just to finish the thought, I suppose, like as the ultimate surveillance tool, I mean, the thing about blockchains is, you know, one, like I was saying, it's this immutable ledger. It's not to say that they can't see a lot within already our transaction history through the banks. And that's an argument people bring up a lot. They're like, well, I don't know about this digital money thing. Like, I can't really hold it. It's like, well, can you hold the fucking money in your account? Your bank account, like that's all digital as well. And like when people talk about printing money, really all that is is just adding zeros to the ends of their balance sheet. Right. And you know, 
lending money and creating debt and, you know, tickering around or taking around with interest rates and stuff like this. Like that's what money creation really is about. So it's all digital. And so like people, like their arguments are so knee jerk with things like crypto and Bitcoin, and they don't really know what they're saying. And so like that one is a silly one. So a CBD future where, you know, fed now is what they're calling it. Um, there's some people that think that the U S is going to do it. There's others that say that they don't really need to, like I was at, who was it? I was recently listening to, it was on this podcast I love called what is money with Robert Breedlove, but they were saying, you know, the U S doesn't really need CBDCs as a tool. Like they already have all the tools that they need for that use case. And I don't know, I think that they still could get a little bit more, for example, they could limit the amount that you spend on anything, right? So like if they want to limit the amount of meat or alcohol or gas or whatever it is that they want to limit in the population spending, they can just create caps on chain. And so you just couldn't access your wallet for those types of products when you hit your quota. Or how about this one? I mean, this just happened with PayPal yesterday. It was supposedly misinformation, but it still leaked out of the fact that like if... PayPal notices, you know, any uh, misinformation, disinformation, or, you know, things that they feel goes against their policy rules in the behavior of, you know, someone holding money with PayPal, they, you'll get charged $2,500. Yes, I did hear that. Like it was redacted, but like it, their stock still got hit. And a lot of people have pulled their money out of PayPal, including myself. Tons of news. people. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, that's just a little sample of it. And so it's like, oh, you didn't give your yearly contribution to BLM. Like, okay, we'll just take it directly from you. Oh, you didn't do your taxes correctly. Like, okay, we'll charge you $10,000 that will slowly come out of your account over the next 10 years. Whatever they want to do, like it can be done in a way that is slightly different than the way it is now because we bank with who we want to bank with and you know we feel like we have a little bit more freedom with our with our money but with the CBDC it's programmable money like they can do whatever the hell they want right and with it. that was the original intention of bitcoin it was decentralized and what you're talking about the CBDC the central bank digital currency it's centralized currency. It's just another yeah. form of controlled currency. And then when you start yeah. thinking about things like China's social credit score and the various things that could be transplanted around the world, you tie that into government controlled uh, CBDCs. We're looking at a horrible world. idea. Yes. <laughs> Terrible. Horrible idea. <laughs> I mean, China has it. I mean, they unveiled it at the Olympics. Like That's they right. have the digital yuan already and it seems there's a lot of eu countries that are going after it and it's a natural progression but like we're at a tipping point right now i mean i don't know if you're familiar with the fourth turning the ideas of strauss and how and yeah it's a popular book from the 90s it's um kind of deals with generational theory how you know, there's four generations that exist within each saculum. So saculum is this Greek for long life. Okay. And, you know, we, like, for example, the term millennial as well comes from their work. 
So Strauss and how they co-wrote these two books together, Generations, and also the one called The Fourth Turning. And what The Fourth Turning relates to is the end of one of these saculum cycles. And it always seems to play out the same way. Like in the book, they study it for the past six to seven generations in the Anglo-American story. And every fourth turning, you have the baby boomers in our iteration of it, who they call the prophets, as the eldest generation. And then you have those entering midlife, the millennials or the hero archetype generation, um, basically at war with one another. And so there's two different worldviews that exist between the prophets and the heroes, and they're in constant tension with one another, whether the heroes are the elders and the boomers are the kid or midlifers, <laughs> you know, or it's flipped in the fourth turning. It's always flipped where the prophet slash baby boomers are the elders. And, and then the vision that's going to be seated for the next saculum, for the next 84 years approximately, which is also a Uranus cycle, by the that's way, um, is is playing out. And we've been in it, some would say since 08, some would say since 2012, the actual author who's still alive, Neil Howe or Neil Strauss, he get, he, he places it to around the time i th- i think cuz tony robbins just interviewed him i think he relates it to trump getting elected so that was regardless like we're in it yeah 2016 so we're in it and it's basically if you think of it seasonally we're in winter so winter isn't just coming it's here and the symptoms of it are mass centralization think of the pandemic Think of how a lot of things are done these days, this mass centralization. You have a peak of the culture wars that happen and you have economic fallout. Basically, the result of what Ray Dalio talks about with a long-term debt cycle also comes to a head. And so what are we seeing in the world? Like there's this mass centralization, rise of the extremes. So like the fear of fascism, the fear of communism, like that whole polarity that's also seemingly at heads once more. And sovereign nations, companies, individuals, debt has never, ever, ever been higher in the history of the world. And as it starts to unwind in this cascade that we're slowly starting to see, I mean, like small countries and, you know, like currencies that don't have that much power say in comparison to the euro or the dollar are getting hammered venezuela lebanon all over the world like it's a situation that's really going to create more and more human suffering and what does it look like there's no way like as far as i understand the macro thing like right now the fed has no way out of the situation. If they keep raising rates, they're going to break the world economy. But if they don't keep raising rates, inflation is going to run out of control. Like, like the, and they're seemingly going to keep raising rates. And so you have the UN right now begging the Fed to stop raising rates. You have all these open letters from CEOs around the world writing the Fed being like, please, you can't, like, you're not just breaking our company, but you're breaking the economy. You can't continue doing this. And what are rates, but the price of money. And so it's been, you know, the party is over since 2008. Money has been pretty much free. Interest rates almost at zero. And like the whole thing is imploding. 
basically, as far as the way I understand it and see it, but my God, there's a life raft, Jake, and a life raft is orange. And it's called Bitcoin. Like, <laughs> like the life, the life raft is here. And like, that's what's so crazy is like the big money and like the really smart people in the world, they get it. And that's one of the things that I enjoy so much about what's happening within Bitcoin is like, my God, like some of the smartest people in the world are now like faces that exist around Bitcoin, but they don't all come from the same place. You know what I mean? Like you have people that come from finance that are Bitcoin proponents, but then you also have like Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey, (laughs) like educating the hood about Bitcoin. You know, like Jack Dorsey's devoted his life to Bitcoin. You have, I mean, there's just such an eclectic group. I mean, even looking at myself, like I never again was interested in finance or any of this stuff. I was just an astrologer, musician, doing my thing. And then Bitcoin has this way of getting your attention. And I think it gets most of people's attention in the beginning because it's like number go up. It's like, oh, this is a way that I can make money. But then once you get it, you're like, oh, no, this is a way that I can preserve my work and energy and money. And it's like you just have this like moment where like I'm almost (laughs) fully there where I don't really compare it to the dollar. I I, I think in sats more and more like the deeper I get into it. You know, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. So you've shifted your frequency. You've changed your paradigm. You're no longer looking at money in that way. And we can do that if yeah. you if you can do it. So can anyone really, because like we were saying earlier, it's still in its infancy, even though so much has happened, we're talking about so much history, so many people involved, it's still new. It's and still cheap. It's still cheap because yeah. when that next having comes up, which we talked about earlier in the 2024, show, 2024, the value of Bitcoin is going to go up exponentially. What are your thoughts on that? That's my opinion. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's programmed into the protocol. So every four years there's these halvings. And so it's simple supply and demand. The miners are getting half of the block reward. So after 2024, they're going to be getting, I think it's around three Bitcoin per, per block. And that just, it's, it's a slower issuance of supply into the system and just think about it as if it were gold. It means that like every four years, gold becomes harder and harder and harder to mine. What would that do to the price of gold? Oh, it'd go up, up, up. If it wasn't manipulated, (laughs) of course, right? (laughs) And so Bitcoin, or sorry, gold, as far as I understand, throughout its history is roughly, its supply has increased like between one and 3% per year. That's pretty consistent as far as I understand. That's not the case with Bitcoin. Like in the early days, like in the first um, cycle, the first four years of Bitcoin, like the issuance was, we'll just say, much bigger than six, much bigger than 16 and 32. I mean, like those miners were getting a lot of Bitcoin per block, but there was no network effect. Like I remember even like, well, 2012, like that was after the first... Or it was around the first having it would yeah it was like right around the first having bitcoin was like 100 bucks maybe it was a little bit more than that could have been more than that but 
it was still kind of play money. It was people having fun with the idea of it. Maybe there was a handful of visionaries in there that really saw all of these steps that have happened since. But I really don't think for the majority of folks until what just occurred, you know, like post 2020, has there been as strong as conviction as there are now? So people like often ask me, they're like, are you still into Bitcoin? Like you still think it's got a, got a future? It's like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, you, like, like, like that's kind of the feeling I have though. It's like, you obviously don't understand it. Like it, when you understand it and you know what go, is going on in the world, like it's never had a better setup. Right. And then also fundamentally, I just want to mention this part too, because fundamentally we mentioned how mining works earlier. The hash rate has never been higher. So like hash is a way of measuring security in the Bitcoin network. And so basically the more people that are trying to guess the next block, the more miners that are on the network paying for cheap electricity to do this, but still paying a lot of money to do so. There's never been a higher hash rate in the history of Bitcoin than last week, right now. And like what that means is it's more secure than it's ever been. It's more decentralized than it's ever been as well. Wow. That's bullish, man. Like that's fundamentally what you want to know about what's happening. And so, yeah, like it's sitting around $20,000 in comparison to the dollar, but like the dollar is crushing every market right now because there's this huge flight to the dollar and so the dollar is strong it's a global reserve currency and so when the economy is imploding people fly to the dollar but if you hold on to the dollar you're losing purchasing power over time pretty quickly yes no matter what inflation eats away at your savings it's a hidden tax there's other things that well but just flat out inflation takes away the value of your fiat currency period yeah yeah swiftly so we're still in the infancy and there's still oh, yeah. time and it's actually teenager it's not th- infancy teenager <laughs> so it's still in a lull right now i mean as you said it was close to seventy thousand, but now it's uh, hovering yeah. around 20 do you feel like it will dip down a bit more is it should people wait to buy now we can't give professional financial advice no, but this no. is just to our opinions like yeah, um no financial advice no zero this is not at all uh, <laughs> Don't look down for anything. Um, <laughs> but what do you think? Is it going to go down more? And then what do you feel like astrology says about Bitcoin's future and just cryptocurrency in general over the next yeah. 10 to 20 years? Yeah. There's a few questions in there. Yes. But to skirt around the financial advice thing, I mean, on all metrics, technically speaking, so like in looking at charts, I do trade a bit. And so like I'm pretty well versed at looking at charts of assets. And so staring at the Bitcoin chart a lot. And I use a lot of different methods. I, Speaking of financial astrology, I studied W.D. Gann, who was a legendary trader from the early 20th century that used astrology and numerology. Oh, wow. Um, and his yearly predictions for commodities and stuff like that. Legend, even outside of the astrology field. And that's kind of blowing my mind. Like, because I knew how to read the charts before, but over the past six months, I've been learning a lot about GAN methods, and they're pretty extraordinary, actually. And like looking at it from a TA perspective, and with Dan, GAN included, we're 
we're very close to the bottom. I mean, sure, there could be another like liquidation event that not even a liquidation event, but just like a panic sell because of just what's happening in the world. Like it seems like there's a very clear and eerie escalation happening in the East right now. And there's a global energy crisis and food crisis too. So like depending on how this goes, I think a nuke would probably nuke the price of Bitcoin and everything else immediately. Kind of like what happened in COVID. Like in March of 2020, I mean, oil went negative. Jesus. You couldn't pay people to hold your freaking oil in March of 2020. Um, Bitcoin went to like $3,600. Like it was scary watching it. I mean, just like the, the, the fears that were in the air around the pandemic, but then like watching markets melt like it was a frightening day i remember i went to the dentist that day and when i got out of the dentist it was like holy shit what's happening it was it was it was wild so i mean you can't rule out a black swan like that from occurring but like there's certain fundamental things about bitcoin that keep me very bullish from where we're at right now and what i just said about hash is one of them but there's also because it's a blockchain and there's all these ways of getting on-chain data. Um, a lot of people make fun of on-chain data at this point because they've had like a lot of the analysts have had false or not false, but bad calls, we'll just say over the past year. But ultimately it's still helpful to know that like almost 70% of Bitcoin has not moved in the past six months. Oh, wow. Like Just think about that for a second. Like way over half of all Bitcoin in existence hasn't moved from one address to another, whether it's wallet to wallet or wallet to an exchange. It's just been sitting there. And so that's hodling. That's diamond hands right there. And that to me is insanely bullish because like people, the, the, the narrative is pretty strong when people educate themselves around where Bitcoin is and it's, story and why bitcoin like people get it like people who really get it will never sell their bitcoin right exactly Just like if you had they'll never sell like i'll, never sell. Will never, I'll sell. never sell i'll never sell i'll sell yeah. at 10 million how about that <laughs> yeah i mean actually is there a um, point where you would sell is 100 million enough like what, what well i your... have sold well, like I, mean... I sold the top back november <laughs> right. but like for me like i have a i have a goal and that's to stack more sats yes and to buy a house and so i know how volatile this market is and so like when we did get to 68k in november i was like you know everyone's saying we're going to 100k i don't i don't trust that i don't trust that at all i think we've hit the top and i sold not everything but i sold a lot and with the plan of dollar cost averaging back in and so i've definitely been dcaing for a while now nice <laughs> like i should have waited until now but like you don't never know you never know when the bottom's going to be in any market and so like if you want to be accumulating an asset now is as good a time as any yes to accumulate i mean something like bitcoin the next halving is going to create a jump in its value and the next halving after that and after that like because that's all within Massive. 12 years you're saying that happens every four years so four yeah. eight 12, 16, within yeah. 16 years, you're looking at 
quadrupling whatever you put in guaranteed that should I, I, that's my opinion just yeah. fyi people yeah. out there well you can <laughs> no i mean you're right and and you know, there's ways of talking about this without it being financial advice and for example we've compared it to gold a few times right yes well the entire market cap of all crypto so that's bitcoin and everything else included is at the moment dancing around 1 trillion all right bitcoin itself is probably around 600 if i if i'm just ballparking it i might be wrong about that it could be like a little bit more a little bit less but regardless compare that to gold gold's market cap i think is roughly around 10 trillion oh wow so even if it took 25% of the market share from gold or if we want to get a little more bullish 50% of the market cap of gold that would be that would be five huge to 10x that'd be a 5 to 10x in the price of bitcoin versus the dollar but in my opinion it's going to far surpass gold yes like i think i think it's going to become a 100 trillion dollar asset at wow. some point I mean, I'm talking like 20, 30 years. But we're hopefully all still like, going to be alive in 20, 30 years. And that's years. the thing. That's the bet. <laughs> I mean, and I really mean it too. Like if Bitcoin fails, like if they do, uh, uh, like, you know, because governments can do certain things. Like they can basically say you're going to prison if you hold Bitcoin. Right. They could. They could say that. But they can't, they can't shut down the network. But they can say certain things like that. Um. I could slow down the adoption, but it's still going to be adopted elsewhere. I mean, again, there's sovereign nations adopting it as we speak. And so there's going to be places that are very favorable for Bitcoiners and, and just crypto innovation. And I think that's a trend that's already happening. I mean, you see it in Dubai, you see it in a lot of Central and South America, you see it in Africa, a lot in Africa, actually. It's too late. It's already happening. And so like if the US or like the EU were to, you know, pass some laws that are just not sustainable and un you know, people are just unwilling to comply, they'll go elsewhere. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of how it all started, if you think about that. Like it wasn't started particularly for criminal activity, but it was used that way just like anything else, because of the fact that it could go around the world. But do you feel like Venmo, yeah. just to ask you really quick, do you feel like Venmo was like the answer to Bitcoin? Like the 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 central banks got kind of scared and then PayPal created Venmo and it's like, oh, look, you can send money around the world instantly. <laughs> um, maybe. That's an interesting idea. Because yeah, it just kind of popped up after cryptocurrency was happening and that was one of the big things about cryptocurrency is that you could send money relatively instantly across the world without all these middle people. And then all of a sudden Venmo appears and it's pretty much like you can send money around the world in the exact same way. Except it's a centralized company. Exactly. That's the thing. Right? Like, yeah. 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 That's the issue. And yeah, I mean, it's possible. It is indeed possible, but like, there's also like the, the, again, the peer to peer digital cash thing, like that narrative isn't really the Bitcoin narrative, like on layer two lightning, it is, it is for the Bitcoin cash community, for the Satoshi vision community. Again, what Bitcoin has become is a digital asset. 
it's like it's like owning digital real estate it's 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 owning information it's owning a part of a network it is not like to so many people like that's not how they talk about bitcoin these days it's it's mutated it's transformed do you think there'll be another so, crypto for daily transactions though like small transactions like ripple yeah like, yeah like do you think ripple is yeah, the I mean, that's, yeah that's the ripple story Oh, <laughs> that's boy. the that's the XLM story. That's the <laughs> I mean there's a lot of people playing around with that story and they can have fun with that story. And you know, like with Ripple's entanglement with the SEC, I do hope they win. I think it will be a net they will. positive. They will win. Guaranteed. Guaranteed that they're going to yeah. win. Yeah. And and I feel like I that that's so. the reason they took it off Coinbase and some of these major exchanges is because they're hoarding it themselves, knowing that the SEC is going to rule in their favor and the value is going to skyrocket. I'm telling you, yeah, in my opinion, good. my personal opinion, people out there, I'm a big Ripple fan. And it's because also I'm a Grateful Dead fan. Jerry Garcia has a song called Ripple. Ripple's a good song. Yeah, we love Ripple. <laughs> so I've always bought Ripple because yeah. I love the Grateful Dead. That's how I was like, oh, Ripple. That was, that's that was like funny. a sign. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Ripple and Bitcoin, are there any others that you feel like are strong? And then what do you feel like the best way to store your coins is? Well, that's easy. Cold storage. So I use Ledger. Okay. And all my crypto is on my Ledger. And Ledger is those USB yeah. flash drives that you can get, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're improving them all the time. I actually watched an interview with the CEO of that company, a French guy, recently. And... Yeah, like they're a pretty solid uh, company working on the cold storage issue. And they've had three iterations of the hardware so far. And it will just keep getting better and better. And you and feel better. like Ledger is safe. In your opinion, as an expert, you feel like yeah. it, it, Ledger is safe. Like the USB drive isn't going to like die, like the circuitry. There's no software. In well, sure. Oh, no. Like I don't think there's any backdoors or like weird hacks okay. that could be, you know, give entry to a hacker from ledger or whatever that would look like. No, I don't. Um, but it, actually this was a misunderstanding I had in the early days of like, well, what if I lose it? What if, what if I step on it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If, you know what I mean? Um, and that's part of, I think all of our education with how all this stuff works. It's like, well, it's, it's a way to interact with your private keys that live on the blockchain. But as long as you have your private keys, you just have to get another ledger and uh, then access it. <laughs> it's so like, not it's, it's not just on the no. Okay. No, it's in the blockchain. It's an immutable blockchain. Everything that's ever been and ever will be on that chain is there, including your bags right? Wow. Like everything is there. So you just need the, you need a way of accessing it. And so if you don't have cold storage ledger, you know, there's wallets that I could recommend to like Exodus is a good app that you can get on your computer or your phone. Um, yeah. I mean, I have okay. some coins on Exodus. It's a nice user interface. They have good customer support, but it's not a cold wallet. It still could be hacked theoretically. So a cold wallet um, is generating, for people that don't know, a cold wallet is generating a wallet via the Bitcoin Core program and just having it, it's it's uh, exclusive to you. No one else can access it and it has a password, yeah. a pass key that allows yeah. you to get into it anywhere. Yep. 
multi-levels of encryption. A lot of the, you know, security paranoid folk, like they do multi-sig as well. Meaning like two different locations needed, two different signatures, <laughs> like just impossible to ever access that Bitcoin. Oh, man. I, yeah. I mean, there's certain things with Bitcoin. I, have, I don't think I'll ever go that far. Like I'd love to mine or contribute some hash power at some point, but like I've never had access to cheap enough energy. Like you need to have, I think it's like seven cents per kilowatt hour. Oh, wow. To even break even. Yeah, I did mine one Bitcoin. I did have some Butterfly Labs miners. It was five giga hash per second. I had a few of those routed for about three or four months. I, I mined one Bitcoin. Nice. When, what years? 2013. That was 2013. I first was turned on to Bitcoin in 2011 because of a Rolling Stone article talking about okay. the Silk Road. And I, uh -huh, uh -huh. and then for, and then Bitcoin was $4 a coin at the time. And, uh, Dang. I, I, you're an OG, uh, kind of, except I didn't buy enough back then. It was so abstract. I was like, I don't need exotic drugs, uh, right now. So I think I'm okay. Like I didn't put together that it could be used for something else until later till around 2013. Yeah. And that's when I started investing. I did sell a little bit early with some of my coins, but it's still early, as we've said, and we've had an incredible conversation. What a podcast. What a great episode that we've had. <laughs> I really appreciate you being here, but I want to ask you one more thing before we go, before we end this incredible conversation, what does astrology say specifically about these coins, about cryptocurrency, about adoption? Like what, what is the forecast from an astrological perspective? So one of the big transits that most astrologers have their eyes on over the next year or so is Pluto's ingress into Aquarius. So it's been in Capricorn since 08 and it's about to move into the next sign over Okay, Aquarius. It's a big deal for these outer planets. Pluto is a planet to us astrologers, by the way. And Stop. Everywhere it goes, <laughs> yeah, everywhere Pluto goes, everything it touches, it transforms. It has a way of making honest actors out of us in life. And that's an interesting statement in comparison to a blockchain, right? Like in life, say if Pluto was transiting while it was while it's been in Capricorn and it maybe one of your relational planets or maybe in a relational house, like the seventh house or something like this, you've probably encountered some shenanigans and some shady interactions with other people in this period of time, you know, breaches of trust with your lover, finding out some crazy things that you never thought you would find out and, you know, other kinds of relationships, learning how to be more honest and transparent yourself. This is kind of how Pluto teaches us is it shows what lurks in the shadows or what's hiding under the rocks of, of, of the psyche. When you apply it to something like Bitcoin, like Pluto is one of the most outstanding features in the Bitcoin chart. For example, the sun, one of the you know things most people know about their astrology chart, Bitcoin's a Capricorn, <laughs> by the <laughs> way. Uh, 
the way that looks in the chart is it's Pluto conjunct Mars conjunct the sun in Capricorn. And all you need to know about that is like part of its identity is this process that I'm talking about. It demands transparency and, tr and truth to be at the fore for everything that it does. And its goal is to transform and heal something. Well, that something is clear. <laughs> you know, if you looked at any, if, if Bitcoin's chart wasn't Bitcoin and I were to see it as a human or a company or a moment in time, like I would still have these same ideas because of the signature. But because it's Bitcoin and we know that it's here to heal yes. the financial system, that to me is is just such a, it's 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 empowering. It it's very correlative. It's correlate. It correlates, but it empowers me in such a way because I've seen ten thousand stories about what Pluto does in charts and how it moves and how it functions, and so to know that about Bitcoin and then it's about to make this transition into Aquarius, and there's something that's really important about Bitcoin's chart that's in Aquarius. It has the north node of the moon in early Aquarius. And so what Bitcoin's going to do over the next couple of years is it's going to move into Aquarius and then cross that North Node. Well, what the North Node of the Moon is, is basically the bullseye of the story that any entity is here to, to tell, to discover, to live. You can call it destiny if you want. And so that story has a lot like what is Aquarius? Aquarius has a lot to do with the people. It has a lot to do with decentralization and technology. It has a lot to do with innovation and even even like true democratic ideals. Like that's why oftentimes you know Aquarians are very proud of being so because they're humanitarian. Like that's one of the words, the buzzwords that you get in right. simple sun sign astrology. And so to think of that, as far as like Bitcoin is here to create this more fair monetary system as a foundation for the next, you know, like in, in a good sense, the next world order or the next saculum, yes. the next great cycle. And, you know, equipped with that knowledge and a few other things and, you know, just listening to people outside of astrology talk about it, that really understand it. Like we didn't really touch on it, but like from an energy perspective as well, like that's been my biggest education over the past year is understanding energy and grids and how they work and why Bitcoiners are always like in the middle of nowhere, like in Norway or West Texas and stuff. It's because they have to go where energy is cheapest. But there's all these very interesting symbiotic relationships that are forming with all energy providers with Bitcoiners, miners specifically. Because it helps stabilize the grid and there's just ways of monetizing operations, whether you're building a solar farm or something out in the middle of the ocean. Like it's, 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 I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Anymore, but it's <laughs> freaking amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And like the fun is that it's destroying the planet. Like the World Economic Forum in 2017 said that Bitcoin would just, would use all of the world's energy by 2020. That was a fucking headline. Ah. In like mainstream news from the WEF, the greatest organization on planet Earth, Bitcoin would consume all the energy by 2020. And it's then insanity. they have the buzz. 
they have this like phrase of like it consumes just as much energy as a small country like Sweden. For some reason, it's always Sweden. But there's no context out of it. It's like taking a Jordan Peterson video and cutting it up and making him look like a monster and being like, look at this guy. No context. Right. Yeah, right. Nothing, exactly. There's right? no context. Yes. No context whatsoever. You can compare a lot of things like that and make it look monstrous. And so education comes back to it. The astrology piece will be exciting because more people are educated than ever about Bitcoin. And it's really cool to see how like it, it it's all growing. So within and that next year, mutating. So within that next year, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Pluto moves happen. into Aquarius in March. Ah, interesting. It moves so into we'll March and then, and then goes back and forth for a little bit of time. But yeah, I mean, like this process is occurring, and I think it's actually it's acute, Jake. Like it's happening now. Like the Bank of England's in trouble. A lot of co- economies all over the world are in trouble. That's true. Like the system is breaking. And so like, like the bond market is something like a hundred trillion dollars. It's more than that, I think. And so like what kind of net, what kind of entity could catch that amount of capital? Because like that's what's happening. Like people are fleeing the bond market. It's like, where are they going to put their capital? Like not everyone can go into real estate. Like people don't trust the stock market in the same way anymore either. Like a lot of smart money is flooding into Bitcoin. Yes. And crypto as well. But like, I really think that there's like over the next four to eight years, it's going to get insane. That's what I think. I think that there's just going to be like real world problems that are error or that are not fixable. And people are going to have to figure out like, well, how are they going to preserve their wealth? Like, where are they going to go? And I think at this point, Bitcoin is trusted enough in the eyes of really like a lot of people that, you know, I think hedge funds, managers, et cetera, they trust. And so like when they listen to that, they're like, all right, well, maybe this whole Bitcoin thing is a good place to to put it and it will happen more and more in droves, I think. Yes. And the institutional money has already been pouring into Bitcoin specifically and some of the other coins like Ripple and Ethereum, not so much the altcoins. You definitely never hear about big financial institutions investing into some random altcoin that you've never heard of before. So be careful with that. But before we go, I do want to tell people where to find you. Adam, we've had such an incredible episode. It's been so yeah, great. Thanks. It's <laughs> nice to talk this stuff out. I love uh, how our rapport has been. It's been just so incredible. But I want to tell people where to find you because people want to follow up with this. They want to learn more about this. You know, it's still new. We're yeah. veterans, you could say, in the cryptocurrency world and are just in our knowledge. But there's so many people that are literally still at the zero point or even before, yeah. you know, with their knowledge. Get off zero. so medium.com that's a place where you can find a lot of his writings and articles and he has a website called holes to heavens.com so that's h-o-l-e-s-t-o-h-e-a-v-e-n-s holes to heavens.com and you can book an astrological reading with adam and, and you could talk about Bitcoin if you want to. 
I, I have a feeling. Yeah, it's I okay. do a lot of that these days. <laughs> and a he, lot of Bitcoin tutoring. I bet. And he has an apprenticeship program that, you know, if you want to dive deeper, you want to become more knowledgeable in the astrological sense and then apply that to crypto, you can become an apprentice and learn directly from Adam. And he has a podcast. He's had a podcast. My God, since 2011, this has been going. And that is the Holes to Heavens podcast. Check that out. It comes out monthly and he has incredible guests, very much like uh, Midnight on Earth. In fact, uh, he's had friend of Midnight on Earth, Jason Scott, on his podcast. He's actually our- Oh, cool. He's actually my neighbor. He's a very close friend of Oh, mine. no way. Yes, he's a good, good friend of ours, our family. Okay. Yeah, he came on in uh, June. Yeah. I love that conversation. Yeah, he's uh, the alchemycology uh, person. He's an incredible yeah. human being. So, yeah, so Holes to Heavens, the podcast. Check that out, people. And thank you, Adam, for being here. I deeply appreciate you sharing your knowledge. It's very nice of you. Thank you for your generosity. Yeah, it's been it's been lovely. And if anyone's overwhelmed, just keep learning. Yes. Just, you might have to hear it from a different a different perspective or maybe even re-listening to this podcast again and hearing it in a different way maybe in a month or something like that like i have to re-listen to a lot of this stuff more than once and then it starts to click yes it sparks your interest at least and just go out there there's an infinite uh, amount of information about these cryptocurrencies out there and of course adam's so available much. for you you book a reading the apprenticeship program <laughs> adam please yeah. hold through the outro music okay Everyone, what an incredible episode. We have taken the deep dive into cryptocurrency. We're going to do it again. We're going to have Adam back on at some point. We'll see you next week, though. Come back. We'll see you next Thursday. Midnight on Earth.